Luke chapter 19. For those of you that are visiting, welcome. Um, my name is Pastor Dennis Lewis, and we've been going through a series on the Ten Commandments. Um, the, the title for the series is Ten Words for Today, meaning the Ten Commandments aren't just for the Old Testament, but they're for us now. And it demonstrates to the world our love, first of all, for our Savior, but also the love that we have for one another. And so we've reached the Eighth Commandment, Thou shall not steal. And um, normally we would read the Ten Commandments, but like I often said, there's not much to work with in those short few words, Thou shall not steal. And so I thought we would go to a passage that could elucidate what that commandment is. It just kind of makes it a little bit more clear. And it's Luke chapter 19. As you're looking at that, I will read the text. Let us read God's holy and inspired word. He, meaning Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said, and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, in this hour, I pray that what we know not, you may teach us, and what we have not, you may give us, and what we are not, you may make us, by the power of your Spirit, and for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Well, I was told that, um, I think it was in seminary, that if you teach the story of Zacchaeus, it is mandatory that you sing the song. <laughs> and so, I guess I have to do it. Now, I'm not much of a singer, so I know all of you will need to help me. On the count of three, one, two, three. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed his way, he looked up in the tree. 
it anyway. I, I just saved you the trouble and the awkwardness through the sermon. And so I said, let me just get it out of the way because I could see the heads bobbing already. Well, now that we've gotten the most important part of the sermon out of the way. Um, you know, recently I, I was doing some reading on the Eighth Commandment, and I came across an interesting uh, survey done by the Barna Institute that said 90% of evangelicals claim that they never break the Eighth Commandment. And I thought that was interesting. 90% of us say we never break the Eighth Commandment. And then I thought to myself, while 90% of us may not have a problem with the Eighth Commandment, it looks like 90% of us have a problem with the Ninth Commandment, which is thou shall not lie. Um, because it is the case, it is the case, and we've been studying this, that you all know that there's more to stealing than just robbery, car theft, and the like. All of us steal in various ways. I'm not going to list them all today, but the problem of stealing in our society is ubiquitous. In fact, uh, I'll give you one short sort of research to show this to be the case. One researcher pointed out that according to some estimates, as much as one-third of a product's cost goes to cover the various forms of stealing that occur in a marketplace. Think about that for a moment. Let me put that in terms we could all understand. If we buy something for three dollars, one dollar of that factored into that is the cost of stealing, a whole dollar. And it's exponential. So if you buy something for $30, it's $10, 300 you know, 100 You can go up and down the line. The problem of stealing, even if it's not a problem we necessarily struggle with, even though that might not be your besetting sin, it is a besetting sin within our society. And it was a besetting sin in Jesus' society. First of all, look at verse number one. Um, I don't know how much you know about the city of Jericho, but the city of Jericho was a very wealthy and flourishing city. In fact, it would be a great city for us to live in, right? Now, we love Flintstone, so, you know, calm down. It's not as good as Flintstone. But it was a great city to live in. I mean, people loved living in Jericho. If you were an entrepreneur, you would go to Jericho to make your millions, if you wanted to become wealthy and successful, you went to Jericho because that was the place for you to go to make your mark in the world. But Jericho was also a place for thieves. We know this because in Luke's gospel uh, earlier in chapter number 10, Jesus tells a parable of the Good Samaritan. And he said a man came down from Jericho uh, sorry, down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among who? Robbers, thieves. There were not just thieves outside of Jericho, but there were religious thieves inside of Jericho. That's why I don't believe the 90%. In Jericho, the Pharisees gouged the people with tithes and offerings, stole from them. Not only that, the merchants stole as well with unfair and unjust weights and balances. 
In the same way, in Jericho, there was massive stealing going on. That's how it is in our society as well. And the fundamental question before you and I is this. With a world so pervasive with stealing, what are we to do? What is the answer to that? You know, as Christians, we're told by God that the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of it. The desire to hoard it and have it. And that's why in the Bible, the only right understanding of how we can curb stealing in our society is generosity. I heard one pastor recently said that all the money necessary to care for the poor and the needy in our society lies within all of our pockets. All of us in this room. All of the money that's needed to care for the needs in Flintstone, Georgia, and in the surrounding area lies in our bank accounts. Or you might say, well, pastor, I don't have that kind of money. But you have time. You have effort. You have resources. You know people. All of that lies within this room. Now, that's not a stretch for me to say. Because how does God care for the needy in and around us? Through us. We talk about it. We sing about it. We're the hands and feet of God, are we not? So if we're the hands and feet of God, and there's a problem with stealing in our society, and people not being cared for, then who does God use to alleviate that? Us. And that's why the story of Nicodemus is such a powerful story. Because in the story, you see someone who is a thief. Go from being a taker, a pervasive taker, to amazing generosity. And so what I want to look at briefly is I want to look at this story, and I want to give you three principles of generosity. If you're taking notes, here's the first principle of generosity. An ungenerous heart is an unhappy and unsatisfied heart. Look at verse number two. It says, and behold, so this is chapter 9, verse number 2 of Luke, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see Jesus, who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. This story starts off with a man who was rich, who was powerful. By earthly standards, he had everything, but what was he doing? He was seeking Jesus, and why was he seeking Jesus? Because he was unhappy and unsatisfied. That's why he was seeking Jesus. You know, Zacchaeus reminds me of Tolkien's character in Lord of the Rings, Gollum. Most of you that are familiar with uh, the Lord of the Rings and Gollum, you know that Gollum started off as Schmeagol. And he killed uh, his relative and stole the ring. And over time, what happened to Gollum? The ring, the possession, the power that it afforded him made him more and more evil. And even though he loved the ring and he loved the power that the ring gave him, what happened to him simultaneously is he became more and more unhappy. He became more and more dissatisfied until over time he became distorted. That's exactly what happened to Zacchaeus. 
even though Zacchaeus had all of this money, even though Zacchaeus had all of this power, ultimately he was unsatisfied. And what happened as he heard that Jesus was coming by? He went and looked for Jesus. Why? Because he probably heard that Jesus was the only person that could bring him satisfaction. You know, um, if you study the life of Zacchaeus, you'll notice something particularly interesting. When Zacchaeus was born, his parents took him to the temple. And the priest said, what are you going to name your son? And he said, we're going to name him Zacchaeus. Because we wanted him, or we want him, to be a just young man. A righteous young man. A godly young man. That's what his name means. Zacchaeus means just. Now, all of us in here that are parents know this. When our children are born, we want the very best for them, don't we? We want them to grow up to be godly. And his parents probably wanted him to be a Micah 6-8 man, a man that does justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before his God. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is he didn't live up to that name. He didn't. Because notice what scripture says in verse number two. He was the chief tax collector and was rich. Now, in the Bible, tax collectors were hated, and there are two reasons why. The first reason is this. The tax collectors collect taxes that funded Roman subjugation. In other words, the whole purpose of collecting these taxes was to give it to Roman soldiers so that they could continue to subjugate God's people. And so they were hated. The second reason why they were hated was because most tax collectors took 25% extra in taxes and enrich themselves. And you could notice in verse number seven, when Jesus finally came to him and said, hey, come down, the people said, how can this man go into the house of this sinner? And so Zacchaeus himself was incredibly hated. Nobody wanted to be around him. Like Gollum, he had become uh, distorted over time evil and wicked and now here he is seeking after Jesus because he has his life is fundamentally unhappy and he's fundamentally unsatisfied with who he is I love and so appreciated what theologian R. Kent Hughes had to say on this and this is his take on it he said it is also very likely that Zacchaeus had found his wealth and lifestyle completely unsatisfying a sense of unease made every pleasure unfulfilling. Nothing lasted. Zacchaeus was drawn by the severe mercy of dissatisfaction. Pause for a moment and consider that. The severe mercy of dissatisfaction. There are many of us inside here today, we were brought to God by that same principle. We had tried everything in the world. We had did everything in the world. But then one day we woke up and realized it brought us no pleasure, no joy, and no happiness. And because of that, we began searching for something higher, something with more pleasure, something more lasting. And we came to Jesus, and Jesus gloriously saved us. And for the first time in our lives, we felt satisfied. We felt at ease. We felt comfort. Perhaps there's one of you inside here today. You have that uneasiness. As theologian Kent Hughes says, the severe mercy of dissatisfaction with your life. You've tried to be the smart one. You've tried to be 
the clever one. You've tried life your own way, and you're still unhappy. And perhaps you came here today drawn by God by that dissatisfaction. So finally, he can fill it. You know, uh, I was thinking about it the other day. I was sitting down, and I said to myself, you know, I have never seen someone who was generous unhappy. Never. My former youth pastor, um, his name uh, is, oh, goodness, what is his name? Brother Kenny, that's his name. I blind for a second. Too many things on the brain. Brother Kenny was probably the most generous person I know, and he never once gave me money. Brother Kenny would, would contact me every day when I was in the Bahamas to give me a word from the Lord and encourage my soul. And do you know, even today, if I took out my phone and I showed you my WhatsApp, every day Brother Kenny sends me a message over my phone. Every single day. He never misses. The man is overflowing with generosity in his love and care for me and countless others. And he never once gave me money. Here's the problem. We think generosity only has to do with giving people money, but it's so much more than that. It's a heart that sees people and know what they need and seeks to give it to them abundantly. That's what Nicod uh, sorry, that's what Zacchaeus was searching for. Someone to love him and care for him. He was seeking for that kind of satisfaction for himself. But because he was such a miser, he was never happy. And I'm here to tell you today, the only way that we can have true joy is through true generosity. Notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because generosity makes a cheerful giver. When we're generous with our time and our efforts, when we're generous to people around us with whatever God has given us, it automatically makes us happy. Because then the focus is not on ourselves, but it's on others. And there's a mechanism that God uses there. Remember the story of the rich young ruler? When he came to Jesus, and Jesus says, I know what you're searching for, and I know how you can be happy. Sell all your goods and give it to the poor. And what happened? He said, no. And what does the Bible say right after that? He walked away how? Sad. He had all this money all this power, all this stature, and he walked away sad. Do you know how many sad people I meet in my life every day? A lot. I'm not even talking about people here. I, you know, you all know me. I, I'm always out in the community. I'm always doing something. And I meet wealthy and successful people, and they're sad. And why are they sad? Because they haven't learned the principle of generosity and giving to others and working to enrich the lives of others. And so that's the first principle. The first principle that we see is that an ungenerous heart uh, leads or is an unhappy heart. The second principle is this. Sustained generosity comes from a generous savior. Notice with me in verse number five. It said that uh, uh, in verse number four, it said that Zacchaeus climbed up a tree and, and he was longing to see Jesus, and Jesus stopped where he is. In verse number five, Jesus said, the Bible says, Jesus came to the place. He looked up and said to Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must go to your house today. Now, for most of us in here, 
We have some knowledge of, of the Bible and Bible background, and we know how significant this is. Jesus is calling him to, to come and have fellowship with him. That, that Jesus is inviting him into a relationship with himself and, and, and hospitality in saying that he's willing to commune with the sinner. That's pretty profound. You know, I've, I've experienced, experienced this kind of hospitality before in my life. Uh, when I was a, a graduate student, I went to Philadelphia to do some graduate work, and I found uh, this family that needed some help. And me and a guy that I had made friends with, we said, you know what, we're going to pull our money together, and we're going to help this poor family that needed our, our money. So, you know, I took my bus money and some other stuff. I said, I don't care. I can walk. And we, we went to the store, and we bought this, uh, this family a supply of food. I think it was about a week's supply of food. And, and so I'm sitting down in my, in my room at that time, and I get a call, and they said, Dennis, uh, this family has invited you into their home. And I said, sure, I'll come. You know, I like to eat, as you can tell. And so, um, and so I went. I went. Hey, you don't get this by eating, like, celery and, you know, and carrots. This comes from feasting. Right? Praise God for feasting, by the way. And so anyway, I don't want to get distracted. I go, I go to their house, and this poor family, when I walked in, had spread a table before me. It was unlike anything I've ever seen. In fact, I felt like everything we bought for them, they cooked and gave it to us. Every single thing. And what was weird is that when we came in and I sat down, they told their children to wait. And they told me to eat first. These people who we had given this money to, to feed them and care for their family, now they are being incredibly generous toward us. And I just couldn't believe it. Here they were taking the, the very last thing that we had given them and lavishing it back on us. Why? Because we had been invited into their home, hospitality. I'll never forget that moment. It, it was overwhelming for me. Now, here's the thing I want to point out in this text. Notice who invited who. Who is the host and who is the guest in this text? Remember, Jesus is the one that came to Zacchaeus and said, hurry and come down because I need to stay at your house. Notice, Zacchaeus didn't say, Jesus, I really want to stay at your house. No. In this passage, Jesus is the host. And Zacchaeus is the guest. And the whole point of this text is to show us that Jesus wants to be generous toward Zacchaeus. That Jesus is inviting him into fellowship with him. That Jesus is the one seeking him ultimately. And notice that Jesus tells him to come down off the tree in order to have this fellowship. Knowing full well that he himself will be hung on a tree so that he might have fellowship, true fellowship with Zacchaeus. It's a glorious sight within this text that salvation finally has come to Zacchaeus' home. Notice with me in verse number 9, Jesus said this. Jesus said to him after Jesus went to his home, today salvation has come to this home since he also is the son of Abraham. Do you realize how powerful that, uh, that statement is? Think about Abraham. Abraham was known for his generosity towards strangers. 
Abraham was known for being rich in faith. And Zacchaeus, a man who never lived up to his name, finally now is the recipient of true generosity that flows from the kingdom of heaven. And all of us should marvel at Jesus' glorious riches poured out on Zacchaeus. If you remember the story of the rich young ruler, after the rich young ruler left, Jesus said to his disciple, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Beloved, what you're seeing in this text is the impossible happening. For the first time in his life, Zacchaeus was finally rich. But not with the treasures of this world, with the treasures of heaven. Hey, listen, what treasures are you, what treasures are you depending on? What treasures are you laboring for? Uh, Most of us weren't in Sunday school, but if you were in Sunday school, you would have uh, heard um, Scott Kennedy talk so much about this principle of what you and I are trusting for as God's people. That are we laboring and working for the treasure of this world? Are we laboring and resting on the treasures that come from heaven? The powerful reality of this text is that Jesus longs to make thieves and robbers into generous men and women. In fact, if you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus surrounded himself with thieves. With thieves. Think of Matthew. Think of Judas. Think of Zacchaeus. And think finally of the two thieves on the cross. Jesus hung between both of them. As the Bible says, numbered among the transgressors. That's what we see of Jesus hanging on a tree. The glorious reality of the gospel Paul captures in 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. That is your true inheritance. That Jesus turns robbers into generous hearts. And now notice with me the final point. That biblical generosity changes the way we look at the world. First of all, in verse number 8, our possessions. In verse number 8, it says that he has stood up after he had been with the Lord, after he had received an inheritance unfading, unfading. He looks, he stands up before the Lord, and he says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Let's stop there for a moment. What is he saying? He's saying that half of what he owns, he willingly is going to give to people. Now, the law said and the law required only 10%, and if you were really religious, you would give 20%. But here he is giving 50%. And what is Zacchaeus doing? Well, Zacchaeus is deprogramming his brain. He has spent most of his life as a thief, taking from people, but now he is giving to people. One pastor said it like this, and I love this. He said, every time we give, we declare money does not control us. Perpetual generosity is a perpetual deification of money. For each and every one of us inside here, the more we give, the more we are tempted to rely, or the more we rely less and less on money. And this takes real faith. This takes real faith, friends. 
that Zacchaeus says, you know what, I'm just going to give 50% of my goods to the poor. And then that's not all. Notice what he says after that in verse number 8. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Think about that for a moment. He says, look, if I defrauded everyone for, of anything, first of all, that doesn't mean I may have defrauded someone, uh, some people. That means I absolutely did defraud some people. And with my other 50%, I'm going to take that money and I'm going to restore it back. Now, picture this for a moment. How, how would that call go? Imagine if Zacchaeus pulled up to your home and he knocked on the door. You know, and, and you look outside and you're like, oh, wow, that's Zacchaeus. I, I didn't know it was tax time again. And then it's like, well, what does he want? I don't know. Well, answer the door. We don't want to get in trouble. And so, and so you open the door and it's that Zacchaeus. And he says, hey, you know, like, I know it's not tax season, but, uh, but you know, I've spent the last five years defrauding you. And, and because I'm an excellent accountant, I'm, I'm here to, to settle up. I know the records. You know, I stole about the equivalent of, of $5,000 for you. And, and now I'm going to give you $20,000. Do you think that would change somebody's life? Absolutely. Absolutely it would. But what kind of heart would say I would give four times back a heart that's been radically changed by Jesus? Who no longer looks at the treasures of this earth and sees it for what it is. Finally, Zacchaeus is living up to his name. That he is a Micah 6-8 man who does justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before his God. A.W. Tozer once explained it this way, any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. To put it another way, the only money we can count on ever seeing again is the money we invest in the kingdom of heaven. And that's what Zacchaeus is doing in this passage. He's investing the money back into the kingdom of heaven. He had stole, he defrauded, and now he's giving it back. Why is he giving it back? Because his heart has been changed. Now, what is the big takeaway here? The big takeaway for us is simple. We're called to be generous. We're called to be generous. Look, I, I've been impressed in, some, in, in a lot of measures by our church. We're a small church, smaller church but we're an incredibly generous church. And whenever you're in a church like ours, sometimes fear creeps in when we see greater needs and we wonder, can we even be more generous than we are? And the answer to that question is, of course you can. Of course you can. God calls us to as his people. And, and you might say, well, pastor, how can we be more generous than we are right now? We're, we're like right at the margins. And I say this, the more we see Jesus is the more generous we'll get. That's the beauty of the gospel. There's no limit on how generous you and I can be. I love what John Owen said. John Owen said, and, and a friend, a close friend of mine sent this to me. 
John Owen once said, on Christ's glory, I would fix all my thoughts and desires. And the more I see of the glory of Christ, the more the painted beauties of this world will wither in my eyes, and I will be more and more crucified to this world. It will become to me like something dead and putrid, impossible for me to enjoy. Do you see what Owen is saying there? The key to becoming more generous is to become more and more dead to this world and to look at the glory of Christ. And if we are to, as a church are going to become more generous, we need to see more of Jesus. My, my mother used to sing this hymn to me all the time when I was young. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Do you believe that? Do you rest in that? You know, that's a simple hymn, and my mother was in many ways a very simple woman. But she was also one of the most generous people I've ever met in my life. Because as she got older, the things of this earth became more and more strangely dim. And that's when she opened her pocketbook and her pantry more and more. Beloved, everything that God needs to take care of all the needs in Flintstone is in your home. Is in your home. You know, as the offering plates come around, I wish that they were as big as our bodies. Because then that way, we wouldn't be deceived in thinking money is the key to being rich. But ourselves are the key to being rich. God doesn't want your money. He wants all of you. And if he has all of you, he gets the money thrown in as well. Father, we thank you so much that in a world beset by stealing, we are given the riches of heaven. And it's through the riches of heaven and through the riches of our salvation that we've been given an inheritance incorruptible, unfading, and unchanging. Because of that, we as your people can give generously and lavishly toward all around us. Lord, help us. We might be a small church, but help us to be big in giving, not just of money, but of ourselves, that we might help the poor and help the defrauded. In Jesus' name, amen.